Lord Jesus, we want to join our voices to those who were shouting your praises. And Lord, as we enter Holy Week, we pray that you would open your word to us and teach us from it so that we can know you better and follow you more. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Last year, I did a wedding for a friend of mine who was so delighted to be getting married because he had been single for a great many years and he was just sick of being single. So he was ecstatic that he was finally getting married. And after the ceremony, he came up to me and with a completely straight face and very sincere said to me, well, now that I'm married, I guess all my problems are over, right? I just didn't have the heart to tell him in that moment the truth. Certainly marriage is wonderful. It's a great thing to be married. But as we all know, it hardly solves all of our problems. And occasionally it creates a few that we didn't have before. He had some false expectations about marriage. I think that's a little bit what Holy Week is about. False expectations of who Jesus is and what he's supposed to do and what he's going to do in our lives. Ever since January, we have been doing a series here called Plastic Jesus, where we have been talking about the false notions that people have of who Jesus is. And as a way of preparing us for this Holy Week, which begins today, I want to just talk briefly about the four different days we celebrate in Holy Week. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. I want to look at each of those days and look at how at each point Jesus surprises us and just defies our expectations of who we think he's supposed to be. It begins with Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem and everyone sort of starts singing his praises and they they throw palm branches down because they're so excited because they think he's coming to Jerusalem to kick out the Romans and establish freedom for the Jews. So they lay down their palm branches and they shout, Hosanna! King of kings! King, you know, the kingdom of David! Great! You know, basically, Jesus, you're the man! We're so excited! And the reason they're so happy is because for centuries they have been oppressed by foreign colonial powers. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, they are 0-5 and their season is not getting any better. If they were a basketball team, they would be in the B leagues. They wouldn't even make it to the A leagues. In fact, they wouldn't even be in a league. They'd be in someone's driveway playing horse and they wouldn't even have an H. They are so excited because finally they think Jesus is going to give them a political victory. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to Jerusalem to kick out the Romans. He came to Jerusalem to die in order to reconcile us to God. That is not what they expected and it's not what they wanted. Palm Sunday represents all the times that we get really excited about Jesus because of what we think he's going to do for us rather than because of who he is or what he really offers. Palm Sunday represents all those times that we're excited about Jesus because we think he's going to get us the job we want, or the health we want, or the friends we want. I had a student who was applying for a Rhodes Scholarship a couple years ago, and and so he made a deal with God. He said, God, you give me the Rhodes Scholarship, and I'll tell everyone I got it because of you. How's that? And I said, I don't think that's going to work. And he said, well, why not? What, what better way could there be for God to look really good than to make me a Rhodes Scholar? <laughs> now, as silly as that sounds, don't you kind of do that? I do. Lord, make me successful. Make me happy. Give me what I want. That's what the Palm Sunday crowds were saying. Lord, do for us what we want 
make us happy. But you see, Jesus didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us holy and whole. And I know that, you know, if you're like me right now, you're thinking, ooh, bummer, that's too bad, I want to be happy. <laughs> but trust me, whole is better, it lasts longer, it's, it's more rewarding, it's more productive than happiness, which is fleeting. Jesus came to make us holy and whole, not what we expected, not what we expected. Which leads us to the second day that we celebrate in Holy Week, and that's called Monday Thursday. And this is the night where Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples, It's also the night where Judas betrays him. And the Gospels imply that the reason that Judas betrays him is because Judas is frustrated that Jesus seems more concerned with saving souls than starting a revolution. So because he doesn't do what he wants him to, Judas turns his back on Jesus. Now here again, I kind of relate to this because this can sometimes happen to us. God doesn't do what... We think he should do. He doesn't come through for us in the way we want him to, and so we get disappointed. And we ignore him. Or maybe do our own thing. Or maybe we come to church, but we don't really give our lives to him. We sort of, like Frank Sinatra, do it our way and follow our own path. Monday, Thursday is about all the ways that we turn our backs on Jesus. And everyone that night turned their back on Jesus. It's one of the most sordid nights in history. I mean, the disciples fall asleep instead of praying with Jesus. The chief priests put Jesus on trial in secret at night, but then they get afraid, so they pass him off to Pilate, who passes the buck to Herod, who passes him back to Pilate, who finally caves in like a house of cards to the angry mob, who just a few days before had been cheering Jesus, but now demand his death. Monday, Thursday is about all the ways that human beings fail God. But here again, Jesus just surprises us, doesn't do what you would expect. You'd sort of expect him to give up on such a sorry lot, but that's not what he does. Instead, he keeps pursuing us and chasing us, and as much as we run away from him, he never gives up on us. Do you know who sat in the seat of honor at the Lord's Supper? Judas. Judas had the seat of honor at the Last Supper. And do you know what Jesus does before the Last Supper? He washes the disciples' feet. I mean, think about that. In a culture where people walked everywhere and there's dirt and, and, and mud everywhere and no water to take a bath and nothing but leather sandals absorbing all those odors. I mean, think about that. I, I don't even like to do the dishes, let alone that. And here's the Son of God kneeling down and washing the disciples' feet. Monday, Thursday is about how Jesus loves us in spite of our dirty feet. In spite of all our failures, in spite of all our weaknesses, our fears and our sins, it's about how he loves us and cleans us up and makes us whole. Philip Yancey tells a story about a Christian civil rights worker named Will Campbell. And Will Campbell had this great eight-word summary of the gospel. We're all jerks, but God loves us anyway. Pretty good summation, don't you think? Well, one night, Will Campbell's best friend, a, a black man, was killed by a Ku Klux Klan member. And after his friend was killed, an atheist friend of of Campbell's was sort of taunting him about his faith and saying, let's see how strong your faith is now, now that your friend has been killed. Let me ask you a question. Was your friend who was killed a jerk? And Campbell said, well, we're all sinners, so I guess technically, yeah. Well, what about the guy who killed him? And Campbell said, well, yeah, that's easier. Of course he was a jerk. And then the atheist friend said, well, which one of those jerks does God love more? 
So Will Campbell started pondering that for several months and slowly the, it began to dawn on him that as hard as it is to understand, God loved that Klansman. Didn't love what he did, but he loved that Klansman and that his grace was meant for that Klansman as well. So out of that experience, Will Campbell switched his job. He went from being a civil rights worker to what he calls an apostle to the rednecks. And what he does is he goes around and he preaches the love of Jesus to white racists and he's bringing them out of the Klan and into the churches. That's a Monday, Thursday kind of love. As weak and as sinful as we can be, God loves us and serves us anyway, and he cleans us up, and he makes us whole. Not what we would expect. We'd expect him to just turn his back on us. That brings us to the third day that we celebrate in Holy Week, called Good Friday. The day that Jesus was crucified. And surely there is no bleaker moment in human history than when we decided that it was expedient to kill our Creator. But here again, Jesus just defies expectations and surprises us. Because as the name implies, somehow Jesus makes that day good. Not because of what happened. Surely what happened was terrible. But because He uses that day to make us good by paying the price that we deserve so that we can be reconciled to God. It is the best Worst thing that ever happened. And that's the paradox of Good Friday. The irony of Good Friday. That unlike every other religion which sort of pretends that evil doesn't exist or that suffering isn't real, Good Friday tells us the truth that evil does exist and suffering really does hurt. But that God can take even the worst events and make them good. And unlike other religious figures who just ignore sin and suffering, Jesus absorbs them and transforms them. And uses them for something good. Which brings us to the last day of Holy Week. Easter. The day we celebrate the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Easter is a powerful symbol. That with God there is no such thing as a dead end. That God can conquer even death itself. And he can take the worst defeat and turn it into victory. There's a semi-famous painting called Checkmate. And it depicts a chessboard where the king is supposedly in checkmate. But one day a a master chess player was studying this painting. And he said, wait a minute, no, it's not true. The, the, The king is not in checkmate. He has one more move left, which probably ruined the painting after that. But the king has one more move left. That's Easter. But as bleak as things get, God always has one more move left. Not what we would expect. You'd expect death to be the end of the game, but not with God. God can make even the worst defeat a victory. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter. Four ways that God just surprises us and does the unexpected. By pursuing His agenda, not ours, and making us holy. By loving us even at our worst. By taking a terrible event and making it good. And by turning a dead end into a new beginning. But there's one day left. There's one day left, and it doesn't have a name, and we don't celebrate it, but I think it's the most important day in Holy Week, and that's Saturday, the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection. What do you think the disciples were doing on Saturday? Here they've seen their friend and their master crucified, but they've got this promise that they've heard, which probably seemed ludicrous at the time, that he was going to be raised from the dead. And what do you think they were doing on Saturday, caught between the two, the tragedy and the promise. You know, most of life is Saturday, isn't it? 
where we're in some terrible position, but we have a promise from God that we only kind of half believe. Most of life is Saturday. It's when the doctor tells us that we have cancer, but it's before we find we're cured or before we find the faith to cope with it. It's after the marriage breaks up, but before God heals the grief. It's after we've been laid off, but before God uses our gifts in a new place. Most of life is Saturday. Waiting in faith, that hanging on to God's promises that He is good in spite of all appearances to the contrary. Most of life is Saturday. I have a friend who dated a woman all through college. It was the only love of his life. They dated for four years, and at the end of college, she broke up with him, married someone else, and moved to Australia. It's about as bad as it gets. And he was just devastated, and he tried to date other women and tried to sort of find someone else, but he just couldn't. And he just he kept thinking, what's wrong with me? And this went on for years. Finally, five years later, he was, he, he was uh, with a friend at a church, just visiting a church. He didn't go to that church. He was just visiting that day. And after the service was over, he walked out, and right in front of him is standing this woman who had broken up with him five years earlier. And she was sobbing. And they started talking, and it turned out that her first husband had left her, and she was now divorced, and she was back in the United States. And she just happened to be visiting that church that day. It wasn't her church. She just happened to be visiting with a friend on the same day that he just happened to be visiting with a friend. Coincidence, huh? So they started a conversation, and about a year and a half later, they restarted their relationship, and now they've been happily married for 15 years and have a great family. When the love of your life marries someone else and moves to Australia, it looks like life is over. When your husband leaves you for someone else, it kind of looks like life is over. That is a long Saturday. That is a Saturday kind of moment. You have this promise that God is good, but it doesn't look like it based on the facts of what just just happened. But God uses those kinds of moments. All my friends had to hang on to for those five years was the promises of God. And that's what they did. They kept going to church. They kept pursuing Him. And God used those moments for good. Now, I'm not saying that God broke this woman's marriage up so that she could marry my friend. Of course not. But God did use that tragedy for good. And in His wonderful Easter irony, He took something that was hard and painful and made it hopeful. It wasn't quite the easy, make-me-happy Palm Sunday kind of a victory they might have been looking for. But through that long period, God refined their character, made them whole, made them holier, made them know Him better. In fact, if you just ask either one of them, hey, do you think God is real? They'll kind of look at each other and go, yeah, of course, duh, look what happened. Because through those long five years, both of them did the Saturday work of hanging on to God's promises and believing they were true, in spite of all appearances to the contrary. I don't know where you are this Holy Week, Maybe you're in a Palm Sunday kind of a mood, trying to get God on board with your agenda, and maybe he will get on board with your agenda. But even if he doesn't know that his plans are always good. Or maybe you're feeling a little unlovable because of something you've done or because of something you haven't done. Monday, Thursday means that God loves us no matter how dirty our uniforms get from the game of life. Or maybe you're in a Saturday kind of a place between a hard time and a promise you only half believe, know this for sure, that God's Easter irony is still at work, He can still use even the worst tragedies for good, and that He always has at least one more move left. Because as dark and as bleak and as hopeless as Saturday can seem, Sunday's coming, and it's coming sooner than you think.
Lord Jesus, thank you that there is nothing that stops your purposes. Thank you for the ways you surprise us and defy all of our expectations. Lord, thank you for the ways that you turn our fears and and our hopelessness into joy. Thank you for the ways you redeem all the situations in our lives. Lord, teach us to follow you and hang on to your promises even in the hardest of times so that we can see your redemption and know your will. Do this, Lord, and we will be grateful people. We pray this in your name. Amen.